to the Sojourn Church Podcast. We are glad you are here, and thanks for listening. As a church, we exist to exalt and enjoy the supremacy of Jesus Christ in all things, equip the saints, and extend the gospel to all people by reproducing disciples and churches for the glory of God. More information about the life and mission of Sojourn Church can be found at SojournTulsa.org. That's S-O-J-O-U-R-N Tulsa.org. We uh, are going to be in Luke chapter 15. If you want to open up your Bible, turn your device there. Um, We do want to be a place um, where it's kind of awkward. It's kind of out of the norm to take time out uh, of service, which sometimes if we're not careful, we can come just just really wanting that first part of service to just just kind of lift me up and just fill me up and fill me up. And then that is a good part. We want to be knowledgeable about God and His Word, and we want to be experiencing God in that. Um, but, but also um, the history of the church shows that especially early on, that, that was founded on prayer, right? And so sometimes churches have got away from that foundational element of being a corporate body that comes together for prayer. And so um, sometimes that's weird for people. They go, man, you guys spend some, quite a bit of time doing that sometimes, and, and we want to be a place where that's the norm, but we also are asking the Lord to make this uh, sojourn church just, just a launching pad for other groups of believers, whether that's other places in the city of darkness, whether that's places in this region, different states, but specifically, and we're asking the Lord for the 1040 window um, and, and some areas across the world that have the least access to the gospel. And so we are continually for years praying that even people from this group would say, yeah, we're going to put our yes on the table and see where the Lord would lead us whether that's Afghanistan, whether that's uh, somewhere in Indonesia. Um, so some of our closest friends um, that have launched off to those places, um, our sending church launched us off in 2017 and launched another group in 2018. And so um, that, and we, we partner with them, we support them, uh, and we want to see some of our people eventually. And you, you may be sitting there going like, oh, I've, I've already got the, the live trajectory. We've got the plan. In two or three years, God may change that direction to where you're considering, God, what would you have us do? Because you've learned through God's word, you've seen God's desire to see him worshiped in all peoples and nations and languages. And then secondly, in in God's work in the world, a a connection is made and your heart is saying yes on the table and there's a connection and now availability and and, and one little mission trip captures your heart and you go, "Why, why couldn't we go and give our lives for that? And so we want to be a place that, that sends out and launches people out. For, for you kids, um, I hope you know that we are praying that some of you would give your lives for, the, for those reasons. That, that may be uh, just being a, a, a full-time person here in the States or maybe a full-time person over in the um, places in the world where um, there is no access to the gospel. And I'm not talking about full-time vocational ministry sometimes. It's full-time jobs, but you're living with the gospel as central. And so we want to be a, a place where people come together with that as the central aspect. So when we're praying, that's an aspect of that. When we're um, mobilizing and, and educating people on that, that's another aspect. So um, that's what we want to see happen here. And so um, thank you for leading us in that, Jace. Um, we're going to be in Luke 15. If you want to um, uh, kind of have a, a catch-up on what we've been so far. Um, we're spending about four weeks on this, um, and this is uh, this story that many people have known as the prodigal son, um, which was kind of a focus on just the younger son, and, and typically for the last 50 or 60 years, it was taught through that first part, and the younger son goes off and squanders all his father's inheritance, and then he turns and comes back, and the father embraces him, gives him a kiss, they have a celebration, and all of us church people go, Man, isn't that wonderful? All those horrible people over there at 61st in Peoria. Oh my gosh, God would even love those type of people. (sighs) What a good God. And that wasn't even the point of the story. It started back with Jesus at the first, in those first two verses, sitting with sinners and tax collectors. These people that Jesus was not afraid of. to to bring truth to. He was not lowering his standard of sin. He was not okay with sin, but he 
was able to come in grace and truth. He came to them with truth as they're telling their filthy jokes, spilling stuff on him, people puking around him. He's hanging out in their homes repeatedly and repeatedly. He's not separating himself like, and he, remember, he is holy. It's not a geographical thing. He is holiness. And yet all that's going on around him, and he's hanging out with sinners and tax collectors, and there's this other group, the Pharisees and the scribes. And based off of their hearts, based off of their thoughts, based off of their heart attitudes, their grumbling, which was, I can't believe this guy. He hangs out with those type of people. And Jesus just tells three stories. And he goes into the story of the the parable of the the 99 sheep and the one that strays. And that seems unfathomable. Just think through that if you haven't really taken the time. That there's secure, safe, 99 here. That makes sense. That's good. It seems counterintuitive, and it also seems um, kind of reckless to leave the 99 to go after this one. And his message in that is that this one created in the image of God, so if that's a human created in the image of God, God loves and pours out his mercy on that one. That's worth it. And there's rejoicing going on. You should rejoice. And then the next parable is the lost coin. You know what it's like. You lose something. So to those people at the time, um, and, and here's the Pharisees, some of the richest people around. And so all the sinners and the, 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 the filthy people know, know the crowd difference. And he goes, hey, we all love money, right? You know what it's like when you lose some money and then you find it? What happens? You rejoice. So he's making this point of rejoicing and rejoicing when something that is lost is now brought back home and found. And then he goes into the third story, the third parable, about these two types of people. And so um, what we see there, we focus on last week, the younger brother. Again, most times in church, we, we kind of focused on that, and that was the end of the story. But Jesus doesn't stop with that younger brother story. In fact, he goes on through what we're going to look at today at the older brother. At the end, he doesn't give us a nice um, clarity in conclusion. He doesn't come to a nice bow wrapped. It'd be a horrible sermon for him because he doesn't bring it to a really nice conclusion. Here's the three steps. He just leaves it. So now what would you do? How would you respond? So he purposely does it. He's just a master at that. Um, Notice with the younger son that we, we read about earlier last week, In pursuing life and freedom, think through this. You know people like this. Some of you may be this type of people. In pursuing life and freedom, what I believe this would be fulfilling, my life would be fulfilling if, fill in the blank, life would be satisfying and rewarding if I only fill in the blank. The younger son thought the path that he was pursuing in in, in debauchery and horrible living, that would lead to that. But what did it lead to? It led to hurt and destruction, and finally, a realization of separation from heaven and from the Father. What we're going to see, uh, or as we saw last week, what, what happened in that story, there was repentance, right? We saw him turn, there was repentance, there was conviction of sin, there was confession to the Father, and there was this desire for restoration and forgiveness. We see this picture that Jesus wanted everyone to see, this turning from sin and back to the Father, And remember the path that he had chosen in pursuing life and freedom. What we're going to see today is the older brother types. He has an idea of life and freedom also. And where one felt life and freedom come from breaking all the rules, he believed life and freedom comes from keeping all the rules. And the reason I bring that up is because for those of you that have been around the church for a while, I think that we begin to believe that equation. If I keep all these rules, if I'm really careful, if we do all the right things, if we're more and more um, careful and cautious and make sure we cross every T and dot every I, and God, are you approving of this? And God, are you approving? If we do all that, it will lead to life and freedom. And just as we said, 
What if it leads to more suffering in the middle of that? What if it leads to persecution? What if it leads to more difficulty? What if it leads to pain? And so this equation, this idea of more life and freedom for the older brother, in this story, Jesus is showing the religious crowd, the churchy crowd, some of you are doing all those things, and it's leading to the same thing. It's leading to hurt. It's leading to hurt relationships. It's leading to brokenness. It's leading to isolation, and it's leading to being separated from the Father. So both sons, one by uh, doing away with all the rules and one by keeping all the rules, both find themselves separated from the Father. So that's a shocking message, loud and clear for all here. There's no amount of sin, no evil deeds that the younger brother types could do that God's grace could not cover. No matter how far you've gone, no matter how many mistakes you've made, how many sin failures you've sin failures you've done, God's grace is greater. So some of you may be sitting there this week, and that, that's all you needed to hear because you've blown it this week. You're in shame and guilt, and, and just that reminder, this week was a younger brother week for you, even if you're a, an older brother type. But God's grace and forgiveness is also there for um, the older brother types. Um, it's an overwhelming, seemingly reckless love of God that's poured out and lavished upon who? The worst of the worst. So think through who that is around your life. Who are, who are the worst? Those people that you're just despised. And last week I brought up, sometimes if we're not careful, the church or even well-intentioned parents kind of almost train us and teach us to be disgusted by certain people. If we're not careful. You may have grown up in a house like that. How does God have love for a person like that? One who has broken all the rules. Why would God ex extend so much grace to someone so undeserving? It seems unfathomable. It seems counterintuitive. It seems opposite of what is right, especially when there are those in the crowd listening who are so good at being right. And if we're in the church, if we're not careful, we're moving along that thing to where after a while, really, I'm just kind of right about everything. I have a biblical stance with four to six verses on the way that we parent our children, on our finances, on the way we make decisions on this, on the way that we educate our children, on whether we wear masks or not, or whether we go to certain movies or not, or whether we watch Netflix or not, or whether we secretly do these things or not. All, we have all of our biblical lists, and I'm right. I've got God behind me on this. How could you argue with me and my stance for my family? So the older brother tops, these Pharisees and scribes are standing there, and this was highly offensive. So we're going to see today from the older son, for him pursuing in life and freedom, his path, keeping all the rules, doing everything right, never disobeying, in his words, leads to hurt and destruction and this separation from God also. So I'm going to read Luke 15, 25 through 32. Um, you can read with me. And then we're going to pray, and then we'll dive off into this. And Luke even has an entry phrase here, just now. After all that we've heard, now. His older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of his servants and asked what these things meant. And the servant said to him, your brother has come. Your father has killed the fattened calf because he received him back safe and sound. But he was angry. And he refused to go in. So his father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, many years I've served you, and I've never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. My father said, son, you are always with me. And all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this brother of yours. He was dead and is alive. He was lost and now he's found. 
So let's pray. Father, we thank you for this story. We thank you that you loved us enough to pour out grace and mercy on younger brother types who break all the rules. We thank you that you have grace and mercy for older brother types who try to keep all the rules. Would you give us insight today in this delicate passage for a churchy crowd through the centuries? Father, we pray for um, other churches in this area that the gospel would go out clearly. I pray for our brothers and sisters up in at Crossover Church up north, the work they're doing with that community, um, beautiful work of the gospel. We pray for um, the, the people at Kirk Crossing out to the west, Father, that you would let the gospel just ring clearly there, that people would make disciples. We pray for um, our friends over at uh, First Baptist in uh, BA, that you would equip those saints for works of ministry. We pray for um, the, the people that uh, go to the Battle Creek churches and to the also the city church that's right near us. We pray that you would allow the gospel to ring true and that people would be discipled and that the nations would be reached with the gospel because of your word going out powerfully. Would you allow us to join in that as our lives are transformed by the Spirit through your Word and change us so that we may glorify you and be found faithful. In your name we pray. Amen. So, um, let's look at this opening part here. Pharisees are always the last ones to see themselves as Pharisees. So that's just one thing that you've got to realize. So if you grew up in one of those homes that's really, really churchy or uh, whatever, I got several neighbors and they'll tell me about just, uh, and some, some of them in fact don't even want to go to church now because they grew up in a, a home where it was so forced like it was like Saturday, uh, Sunday, Sunday morning, Sunday night, you know, Monday night was visitation, Tuesday night was something else, Wednesday night was like you know 4.30 to 9.30 and then like Friday was, they couldn't go to sports things because they had to go and do this, some things at the church. And then Saturday was, you know, go and make baskets or something. I don't know what you do on Saturdays at the church. And so it was stuff like that. And then they're just like, I will not raise my kids in that. You're like, well, I, I wouldn't either if that, was, if that was the case. You know, if Jesus said, this is what it is, I think more of us would turn away from that. But, but people have sometimes a very bad history with that. And so the church has a bad name. And that wasn't the Bible. That wasn't the gospel. That wasn't what Jesus was calling everyone to. Sometimes we just added a whole bunch of things to that. Um, some of those things would be good. But sometimes people that grow up in that, um, it's a blind spot if you're a legalist or a Pharisee on that. Um, and, and people would say, well, I'm saying, I don't, I don't think I'm a legalist. I mean, I don't really see myself as a Pharisee. I mean, I just try to live my life in obedience to God's word. So many, many times we go beyond God's word and we have lists that are beyond God's word. So this whole, this whole, the scribes and um, the, the, some of the early people with the, with the Jewish people back in the Old Testament, um, they had a thing called the Midrash and the Mishnah. And so both of those were taking the scriptures and then kind of saying, you know, those are great commands from the Lord, but we need to add some practical application to that. It's about the shoes that you wear. It's about your clothing. It's about the colors of your clothing. It's about what hours you need to sleep. It's about the way that your house needs to look, that the drapery that you would have there. It's about all these things, the clothes that you have, all these things. And, and so it was adding to Scripture. And, there, and there's tons of them. And so that had gone on for centuries and centuries. Uh, remember that guy, the comedian? I can't even remember his name. So the, the you know you're a redneck if. So remember that guy? He made like you know $20 billion off just that little statement. Um, some kids are going, I have no idea what you're talking about. Um, he made it a hit, and it was really great, unless you come from where I came from. Because when he starts going into, you know, if you have a mullet, and you wear stonewashed jeans and a braided belt, and you have a weird name, and you're from a small town like Salisaw, you might be a redneck, right? And so, like, that's not funny to all of us. We're like, bingo, 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 bingo. This is just offensive. If your family pictures have everyone wearing camo, and most of the people you grew up with and in your family tree look like, you know, Joe Exotic, who made national news, like, you may be a redneck. Like, my hometown's just ticked off at that. Like, that, that's not funny at all. And so in, in this situation, 
Um, sometimes the truth hurts, and we've just kind of got to grow through that. So I just have to barrel through that every time. You know, hey, what's your name? Sankey. Spanky? Stanky? Shanky? No, it's Sankey. Just, you know, so I have to do that all the time. They found out where I'm from, all these things. You have to just grow through that and get used to that. Have tough skin. Today, you're going to have to have tough skin if you're churchy people. Um, Jesus is like shooting fish in a barrel speaking to churchy people, churchy crowds. So uh, my intention is not to pick out things about you or about us and just land blast those. It's for us to go, what if we have these blind spots that we don't realize the people around us, they get it. They're offended. They're hurt. They feel like they don't fit in just by little statements that we say. And so you're going to see some of those. I'm going to try to bring some of those carefully out. But if you know the five solas and you can explain substitutional atonement and you know what the, the letters for tulips stand for, there's a chance you may be a Pharisee. doesn't necessarily mean that. I'm not saying that's bad, but you might be. And, and probably if you're going, oh, not me, you probably know some people around churches that that is a big deal to them and it's very clear to them. If you have very rigid black and white categories for everything and have what you consider biblical stances on everything from baby's formula to Christmas trees to Bible translations to worship songs that are the only right stance, you might be a Pharisee. I've even stopped taking, like right here, I, took, I take ESV off. When I copy and paste these, at the very end, there's always ESV. I just take that off because I don't want people going like, at Sojourn, we use the ESV. I notice online you guys use NIV. You're all going to hell. And that, that's the that's kind of thing. And so if you may have heard about those type of things. And so I, I, sometimes I've purposely done this in seminary class. Because sometimes in seminary you can have guys who are kind of trying to show off things. I, I, it was kind of a joke with another guy one time. But I, I just took the message and I just read from it. Because people are like, paraphrased? Let's read the Satanic Bible. And so I read from the paraphrase, and, and everyone was using just either NASB. And so it was just fun. I also, in class one time, this was fun, I, as we went to break, I went, and it, you know, some rigid guys in there. And I know some of you may think this is horrible, and you can you know, think bad about me. But as we all left, it was my buddy. And so I got on his laptop. Everyone goes to the restroom. I pulled up Dallas Cowboy cheerleaders on his screen. So as everyone walks back in, that's on his screen. And so he, he didn't even see. I know. And so so no one sat there and stared. I didn't stare. He didn't. It didn't cause him to go date Dallas Cowboy cheerleaders. And so, but it was just funny. Seminary class. We're talking about all this stuff, and we walk in, and this guy's thing is Dallas Cowboy cheerleaders. So um, that's what kind of stuff I do. Maybe redneck, but definitely not a Pharisee on that one. But I want you to know we're going to go through this, and it's some delicate things that we're going to see about this guy. Jesus launched into these three parables based off the blindness of the Pharisee crowd. It was about their hearts. Jesus' goal, now I want you to hear this very clearly, Jesus' goal was not for the Pharisees to become like the younger brothers. He was, the goal was not to get older brothers who had good godly desires to drop those and say, hey, I'm just telling you guys, you could just go sin. I mean, this is the guy going to pay for sin years later, right? And so he's going to die for sin. He is the holy guy in the room. He's not saying sin doesn't matter to me. I'm just so graceful, it doesn't matter. But what I've been sharing these weeks is that we're so afraid of grace that, that we have all these rigid things and we don't know how it comes out of us sometimes, and we don't know how to just be okay with some things that are not sinful areas. Jesus is not lowering the bar of sin. Sometimes with our decisions and our stances, we're so afraid of grace that I feel like that if I don't have this far, far line in this tight little box and everyone else has to fit in this box, because if anyone ever breaks open that box and just does a different thing, not sin, but just a different thing than our family, well, you know what that's going to lead to? It's like thank you reading from the message. I mean, everyone's just going to go to hell. You know, if I, if I just preached from that every week, you would be fine, right? Does everyone understand that? Like, no matter what, we're not going to do that. But, but like, you would be fine. We don't have to be afraid of grace in all these areas. So um, these guys just grumbled. This guy, he's pitiful. He eats and plays and hangs out with horrible, disgusting people. And notice it's not an action that they were talking about. It was just a heart behavior. Um, maybe they were standoffish, and maybe they were different. But the idea was this. The, the outside crowd, the sinners, and the tax, the tax collectors, they got the feeling. You've been around that, right? 
you've been in those crowds where there was the, the holy, rigid people over here, and then there's kind of these lost people. And when we've been around different churches and different scenarios, when our boys are involved in different things, um, we've been around complete homeschool groups, complete private school groups, and, and complete um, public school groups. Our first church plant that we were in Northwest Arkansas 20 years ago was one-third private school, one-third public school, and one-third homeschool. So it was, just, it was just fun every Sunday night at youth group just throwing things out because the differences in all those different crowds. Um, so as we go through this, I want you to see some things that, that he brings out purposely. So today as we dive into these older brother tendencies, be careful not to mix up these two things, being offended and being convicted. So I've taught this in two or three other places, and, I, and people, it's been an incredible response from people saying, I never realized I was such an older brother all these years and never even noticed my hard attitude about that. A couple of people would come, I can't believe that you talked about this one thing. They missed the whole point. I can't believe you kind of bashed and made fun of that. Like, did you hear the rest of it? Because I wasn't saying you're a horrible person. I'm saying if you're doing that thing and this is your hard attitude, you need to spend some time with Jesus. And so that's what I want to get you to see. Um, think through your heart. Um, the tendency with pharisaical types, it's this tendency to judge and look down on others who do not have your same stance, just a different stance. So, so look there in um, uh, verse one, verses 25 and 26. He says, As he came, he drew near to the house, and he heard music and dancing, so he went to his father's house to see what was going on. It's not what happened, was it? He didn't hear the music and dancing and go, hey, what, what's going on? He stayed back. He stood back. Because why? Because we separate ourselves. Because I keep all the rules. I wouldn't go around music and dancing. And, and, and don't get me wrong, Jesus is not trying to make the big point here, music and dancing. It is interesting that Pharisees and scribes would not go around music and dancing. And Jesus' little story that he makes up, he brings in, this is music and dancing going on. Now, if you've got a problem with that, here's what's crazy. The father in the story, he's responsible for the music and dancing. The son who had went and did all these horrible things, disrespected the father, horrific things to the father's reputation. This guy was well-known, wealthy. The whole region knew about him. And then he goes and runs to his son, pulls up his robe, runs, gives his horrible son, his dirty son, this beautiful kiss. Give him the ring. Give him the robe. He's brought back in the family. Kill the fat calf. Let's have this huge celebration, dancing and partying. They were having this great celebration, and it was all God's idea, Jesus' idea in the story of this represents what is good and holy and fun and pleasurable. Remember the first two parables? Rejoice, rejoice. And the older brother, I'm not going in. He sends a servant to go in. So think through that. I'm not making the point about uh, party dancing, and I'm not saying, that, hey, you, you, you need now to go and find people that are just you know, hanging out in loose living and go and start partying and dancing with them. That, that, that's not the point, right? Does everyone understand that? Because people walk away every time going like, it sounds like you told us to go get drunk and start partying. And you're like, never said that. Never got close to that. Just, just realize there are areas. Let's, let's take the idea of party and dancing, that situation, which may not be bad at all, right? That, you understand that that can happen without um, anything going wrong? Think through afraid of grace. Why would we not party and dance? <sighs> Sankey, people start jiggling their bodies around and doing all this stuff. I mean, you, you know what's going to happen. People are going to start, I mean, you, you know what happens. And now we're all going to hell. Like, you see what we do with categories? So look, change party and dancing. To other things that, that sometimes the church crowd just that's just an off and when we, we separate over here we, we won't do that i'm not talking about sin stuff because in this story this is what god was saying this is good we're doing this in a good way we have our categories like that and if we're not careful we're so afraid of grace that we believe if we were to ever do that what's going to happen it's going to lead to all of us Jamie and I's first weekend up here in, in, in Tulsa at the church, that our sending church, first weekend here, it was a renewal of vows. One of the staff guys has a renewal of vows. 
Um, they invited lots of people from the church. It was in the church building. Remember, church is people. It's just a building that's separate from that. But it was in the church building. And so they did, they did that renewal vows, beautiful thing, very godly. And then they had a, a, an area over there, and they brought a DJ and a dance floor. And so we're just standing there, and so we're the new pastors. So what do people do? We had two or three couples come the first two minutes, and I saw people, and I thought we were doing something wrong because they were standing over on the side looking at us, just looking, and I thought, are they, like, we're just over here, like, getting punch, and they, they made their way over to us, and I could tell they were looking, and what they, what they said was, we are so sorry. We're so, if you guys are offended, and it's your first week here, and I'm thinking, like, what's going on that's so offensive that we are just so sorry that in the house of the Lord, they're doing this disrespectful thing. So, Party and dancing, right, in God's house. And so I was like, I don't even know why we're having this conversation. But that's what people were concerned about. Because why? If they start partying and dancing in the Lord's house, first of all, he may just send down you know, thunderbolts of lightning and destroy all of us, and then everyone's going to be going to hell because we started out by letting us have party and dancing at a renewal of vows. And that may sound silly, but other categories, we, we get that way. And so this guy, he does it, sends his servant in. And then notice in this, he, so the first thing that we see that he's afraid of grace. Um, if we allow people to get anywhere close to certain things that I do not do, maybe it's not sin, but our family, we just don't partake of that, then if we were to do that, it's just going to lead to the whole church falling apart. Guys, there's, there's people who disagree with us theologically, that have, um, um, so like for us, we have, we have a strong biblical conviction. We believe it's clear in the scriptures. We don't want to be proud of it, but that we believe that scripturally, um, that, that it's clear that elders, pastors, shepherds, overseers, that word's interchangeable in the Greek, those should be male headship. Those should be male role leaders. We're right beside ORU. That's not real popular. And so when there's lots of girls that have come and served and, and served our children and stuff, and they come, and you're like, hey, so, hey, what are you doing at ORU? I'm going to be a pastor one day. Okay. Do I slap them? And like, I, you foul woman, get out from serving our children. You satanic beast, get out of here. No, no, we don't do that. Um, but that's just the stance we have. Do we want to be proud about it? Or what if we get to heaven and we realize, mate, you know what? You guys kind of were faithful on that, and, and that was correct through the scriptures, we should be all the more humbled and thankful and grace-oriented instead of proudfully, oh, <laughs> I noticed that you had a woman up preaching at your church. Again, afraid of grace. So we're not going to take that step, so you don't have to be fearful. But even me mentioning that, I've had people like, so are you saying that you're okay with that? No, you don't have to fear. But places that are doing that, the woman speaker may be much, much better than me. She may be a better Bible teacher, and, and Christians are not losing their salvation off of it. Even though we disagree with it and we won't do that, do you, do you understand? And that may be supremely offensive to some of you, but just understand Christians aren't losing their salvation over it. We, can't, we, we don't have to say we will not associate with them at all, okay? So that's just one area. I mean, that's one simple one. Notice he also misses out on life-giving grace. And he said to him, your brother has come. Your father has killed the fattened calf because he received him back and is safe and sound. So what's the news of the servant? What would be the correct response? Hint, hint, Pharisees, as Jesus is telling the story. Pharisees standing there listening to the story, or older brother types hearing this today, mad because this guy doesn't need a party. Are you kidding me? Do you know what he deserves? Do you know how hard I've been working compared to what he's went and done? He's went and wasted all of it. I'm working hard to keep all this together. He doesn't deserve a party. He deserves consequences and tighter accountability. That's what makes people right. Jesus is trying to show reconciliation and restoration. Main point, what a great father. What kind of father would do this? What kind of father would accept back in a son who's just trampled him under his feet? And then when the older brother is disrespecting him, treating him horribly because he keeps all the rules, what kind of father would be this loving father understanding both types of people? That's the point Jesus is going, what kind of father would do this? So he's missing out on life-giving grace. And notice verse 20 is to do, instead of that, but he was angry and refused to go in and join the rejoicing 
What does the father do again? He picked up his robe, which a Middle Eastern man who is a patriarch in there would never pick up his robe and run towards the, the filthy, dirty younger son who's been working with pigs. So you're ceremonially unclean. You're, you're culturally unclean. First brother, a lot of work getting this party going. Hey, son, come on in. He goes out and entreats. You think this was the first time he ran into this with this older brother? Uh-uh. You know your kids, don't you? You know kind of how their personalities are. He knew this was going to be a problem. He goes and entreats, and the word there is just like kind of just this, almost like begging, just pleading with him to come in. Because why? Because I'm there, and your brother's there. We're at the table together. I'm inviting you into the table. Your brother's at the table again. We're together. And really, the point of Jesus' story is the reward for younger brother types and older brother types is God himself, right? The reward is God himself. I'm the ultimate goal. And I'm offering that to you too, older brother. I wonder if there's anyone here listening and that's your view of God, that he's merely just this harsh, removed command giver because what he says to his his father is this. When his father came out and treated him, in verse 29 he says, he answered his father, look, in the way in the Greek there, uh, it's an intended you in there. Look you, gracious Father, look you, all these years I've served you and I've never disobeyed your command. First of all, I bet you have, liar. Second of all, you thought that keeping all the rules was the goal instead of it's based off out of my love for the Father. So when you're doing your Christian life, is it out of duty and sometimes dread? And keeping the rules is just tough. And missing out on so much? Or is it out of amazed just pursuit of God because of who he is? I I, I want to do these things because you're worthy of this, God. It's not duty. It's delight, rejoicing. I wonder if there's anyone listening today, that's your view of God, that he's merely removed and harsh. He's a command giver. Rarely are we seeing him as the long, patient long-suffering one with our sin, even as you're a believer and you've been in the church for a number of years, still struggling and struggling with sin, what does he do? Does he come spanking you every time? Straighten up. This is ridiculous. You saw what I did on the cross. This is stupid. How does God treat you? How does he discipline believers? He's not afraid of grace. He's not afraid going, hey, I know what's going to happen in five days and your tenth time struggling with that. Here's more money for your job. Here's protection for your family. Here, here, here's some kids that are, that are walking in the right way. Keep failing. Keep failing. He's not afraid of grace. He's this joyous, loving God that Jesus is trying to point to in this. Instead of this harsh task commander. So some of us struggle with that. If you've been around certain circles, um, that's one of the views I run to most commonly in our circles is that people do believe that God is truthfully, just barely tolerating us. He's, he's kind of has to tolerate us because of what Jesus did on the cross, but God the Father is just really upset. And you may sit there today going, man, that's exactly the way I view God. And Jesus is screaming to you, that's not at all the case here. That's not at all the case. He gives us a um, radical view of the Father. Jesus also gives in this parable a radical new understanding of sin and separation from God. We saw previously that failure to keep or obey the rules separates us from God, the younger brother. But we now see that keeping and obeying all the rules on your own merit with a self-righteous heart and a judgmental heart, Pharisees, scribes, you also are separated from the Father. You also are in the middle of sin. So this weird thing that happens that in us keeping all the rules, if it produces a heart of pride and self-righteousness, you end up the sinner in the situation. And here's the younger brother in the middle of a party that God has created for him in, in rejoicing. And so the one you felt was guilty and undeserving is in the father's arms celebrating, and you're over here angry because you're keeping all the rules and it's not adding up. So I want you to see next this this deceptive idol of self. This is huge. Um, Look in verse 29. This deceptive idol of self. He answered his father, 
Look, you, these many years I've served you, I've never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. Notice I've served you all the time. This is a works-orientedness. Jesus is putting this little storyline in here purposely. This is works-orientedness, not grace. What was Jesus about to do on the cross? To show them just complete unmerited favor. This is not works-oriented salvation. Um, And then he says, I never disobeyed a command. Again, he's lying, but I can do it all myself. And sometimes I've ran into lots of guys in our circles, lots of girls in our circles. That's their belief. I'm keeping all the rules. God has approved of me because of that. We do things right. So we have this, these image keepers. Um, these image keepers are in the church sometimes, and, and sometimes you have different types of image keepers. It's ones who sometimes control is the bigger thing. So if I control my kids a certain way, um, they will just sit like this. We've been to churches, and it was like almost scary. It seemed like robots. Like you walked in, and, um, and, and just as soon as you walked in, you know, all the kids are like lined up like, bless the Lord, bless his name, and like had like a little, some little homemade pamphlet, you know, of some psalm. And you're like, man, that's impressive. Um, but, but like if all of them were like that and they just sat still. And so there's a whole couple generations where to be in church as a kid was kid, children are seen and not heard. And so control, control. And, and, and what you don't know is I get to deal with these families sometimes behind closed doors. And we've had people that, that if we lined them up at the front out here, that you would be like, oh gosh, I wish our family was like that. And then six months later, as we start getting deeper into life with them, oh, it, it's crazy at the house. She has this agenda. She has this control. We have all this stuff. It, it's a fight. Sometimes it's, it's the guy just on his image and, and the way he has to have it look this way. And the wife, give, her, give me two minutes with her. Let me ask a couple of diagnostic questions. They break into tears every time. Hey, so what's it like at home? How does he treat you and kids at the you and the kids at the house. Man, looks good on Sunday morning. It's got to be his way or her way. It's control. It's all about this image keeping. You may have grown up in those type of houses. Um, everything has to do with the image presented. Clean, no mistakes, Perfection's expected. Um, we were talking with a, a therapist one time. They said, in, in your pursuit of godliness and being a godly family, are you creating a safe place of grace where your kids could make mistakes and fail really badly? Are you creating a safe place of grace where your kids could fail really badly and they would know that you, like the father in this, are at the front of that, hey, get up. I failed like that a thousand times. Dad feels like this. Mom feels like it. Or is it a place that's not safe for that? Our family doesn't do that. You know the rules. You do not do that. Do you know what we would look like? And hey guys, I'm a pastor. It's been 22 years of full-time ministry. Everyone's looking, looking at our life in a fishbowl all the time. Everywhere we go, every time we go to a church for the first time, our boys are like the ones sliding down the banisters or doing something like that. And so, and Jamie's just like, oh gosh, oh gosh, are they going to break something in the first five minutes here? And so when we're, when we're living in that fishbowl, we feel that pressure of those things. Are you creating a place, a safe place of grace where when, when, when they blow it, that you're going to show them Hey, you know what? That was sin. Great news. Here's the gospel. You need Jesus more, and he can cover that. Or, don't you ever embarrass us again. You cannot be this type of person. Big difference. Think through that safe place of grace. Um, this all brings out this blind spot that most of us deal with, this idol of self. We're kind of driven for the gold star of proving ourselves, whether that's worldly success, um, respect and approval, um, or whether that's in the church, that could be spiritual success, being looked at as a spiritual, respected person, woman of God, man of God. Um, The idol of self, especially a really, really good self, 
I've said repeatedly, we love being really, really good people. In our circles, we quote about how we know about our depravity, but all of my tight boxes prove that I want you to think of me as a really, really good person. So thank you, are you saying that we should stop doing these things and just go and sin? Never said that. Jesus was doing that. He's just bringing out. Be careful with your hearts on this. Um, in Matthew 23, um, yeah, Matthew 23, when Jesus is talking about the Pharisees, a long little diatribe about the Pharisees, he says, the scribes and the Pharisees, they sit on Moses' seat, so highly respected. So do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works that they do. For they preach, but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, laying them on people's shoulders. So more rules and more rules and more rules, more ideas, more stances on what earns approval. But they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others. Let me get real practical what this looks like. What if some of the older brother types found out that there's some stuff that other people don't have as the same lifestyle list that they do. But what if we remove the blind spot and found out, actually, that's not sin, their choices. It's not sin. They have the freedom to do that, and God's grace is all over that. Mine is not even more godly than theirs, but theirs is just different than mine. It's not sin, and it's not bad. It, it's, it's good and rejoicing also. What, what if we found out that there were areas like that that's not sin? So remember, in this story, it's clear, sin and debauchery in Jesus' story, the younger brother, and then keeping all the rules with the older brother type. But what if in our situation, sometimes it's just a different choice with the family, something others enjoy partaking of that's no sin at all, but we've convinced ourselves that, man, those people, that's horrific. That's just sad. I can't believe they did it. We would never be caught doing that. Let me, let me give you very practicals. Um, so this happens. This has happened 50, 80, 100 times. It's always awkward. So sometimes this happens in a small group setting. It's the worst in a small group setting in someone's home. And you're sitting there, and there's you know, two or three new couples, and there's 12, 14 people there. It's a small group setting. Sometimes it's happened like in the church greeting area where people are at, and, and there's you know, five or six people as in a hospitality team, and, um, and, and you're greeting people, and here comes new people, and there's six or seven people standing. Sometimes, again, it's really bad when it's like in that children's area, and there's new people coming. They're, they're checking their kids into classes. So all of these different scenarios this has happened this happens sometimes in ball fields around parents but you you may have had these happen what happens here is self-righteousness just oozes out of people and we don't realize it and it comes out in statements and what comes out is we're very proud and we're actually very exclusive um let me show you my cards here's how we live did you get the hint? Here's how we live. Now tell us, how do you live compared to that? And here's how it works itself out. Hundreds of times, y'all have probably seen it. We were in this in Northwest Arkansas. We were in a missions bubble. We were planning to go overseas, the Middle East for a while. We were in another church beforehand. Usually in one of those settings, it goes something like this. In your small group setting, um, we had worked for like six months to get these two friends, these two couples to come with us. Six months having them over, having dinner, doing all this stuff, hanging out with them, going to, their, going to things that they invite us to, going to their birthday parties, and they're you know, completely different than the church crowd. Six months later, two couples are in, in, in a small group with us, and there was a third couple that we'd been working with also. They'd come already for like a month. They'd been coming for a month. That couple is gone. So the third couple that had been coming for four weeks, they're gone this week. It's a man and, and, and this woman, and then, then there are these two kids that are four and two, and we're starting small group up, and we finally have these two couples here, and one of our friends in the group, one of the ladies from the church, as we started the thing, goes, Sanky, did you know so-and-so and so-and-so? Those are not her kids. Those are his kids from another marriage. Do you get the point? Do you get the point? We're a certain type of people. Think the two new couples came back? I wasn't sharp enough to respond, but afterwards, 
about a week later, they were, we were talking, I just said, hey, I think we're trying to create a space where all of us realize we all are in need of Jesus. Whether you've been in the church a long time or you're, you haven't been, we all have a need for Jesus. Another scenario that happens, um, it's happened a lot of times. Um, again, people get the hint. It takes a certain type of people here. Do you measure up? We're just being honest. We're, there's a group of people just kind of being honest and sharing life, kind of being trying to be vulnerable and stuff like that, and talking about the difficulties of you know church life and um, um, do, you know have, parenting and <clears throat> and doing all these things. Our boys were getting a little bit older, so they were starting to do one thing. And by the way, just so you'll know, my my my, my good godly stance and mine's always better than yours. I've got scripture for this. My good godly stance. I try to coach other dads and other families and try to counsel people when they come to me and their life is in chaos. Chaos. Like I, I just say. Just think through this. You're, you're not horrible if you don't, but just listen. Try to think through like maybe one thing for your kid, not four things every week for your kid, especially if you have two, three, four, five. Like don't try to be doing like football and soccer and taekwondo and, you know, extra extra tr- reading or something. Like, try not to do four or five. And so if you do that and your kids can handle it, I'm just saying as they get a little bit older, that can be a lot. So I'll just say, hey, just try to choose like one thing to land on. So that's kind of what we try to do. I try to counsel people that way. And so we're just sharing. So we feel like we're way over here and kind of like the not doing a lot at that point. And, and, and do you ever get parenting advice that you weren't really asking for and parenting directions on family direction that you really weren't even asking for? And so we're just sharing about, like, that's getting tough. The boys and the guy, it was easy then, guys. Like, they were, like, young. is like, I, I, like, I forget what we were planning. We were like, oh, yeah, just the boys' schedule. And, and, and the statement that comes out is, well, that's why our families, we choose not to do sports. We, we choose to have meals together, home-cooked meals. We don't ever want our kids being hurried off to a game and eating out. Thank you. Got the hint. We live life this way. You measure up. Several times in small groups again, um, I've, I've heard this repeatedly. I've heard this Every school that we've been a part of, at different circles, sometimes it's the, the one, and they'll say, oh, my gosh, we were, we were doing this, and uh, we, I've got a friend, uh, and they're doing the homeschool, and their co-op is doing this thing. And so, like, I would never, and so they make the stance, I would never, we would only do public school because that's that. I'm going, well, those two people you don't know, but they're in a homeschool co-op also, and they're our friends. And then these two couples, they're, they're private school people. I, I think I really, truly haven't heard it here as we've been at Metro, uh, but I've, I, in other circles, I've had it. I've heard it said, you know, like people say, like, I can't believe some people um, do just the, the public school, send their kids to the wolves of, of the liberal public education system. You know, that message gets sent across real clearly to the people like, I guess we don't fit in here. We can't afford to do the private school. And we can't afford for mom to stay home. And I know what the answer to that is. Well, you got out of God's will sometime, and the husband's not earning enough to allow the mom to stay home. Maybe you're just worldly. You see how those things come out? See how those things come out? Here's our cards. How do you measure up? And Jesus is going, you'll never reach a lost world. You'll never reach a lost world. You don't even understand the grace you were first given. Do you understand how costly this was? So your sins before you were saved, what it cost me for that, and the sins even after you're saved, and here you are all proudly, self-righteously making your list. And guys, it could be any of a thousand of those things. We've all heard those little things, and it oozes out of us sometimes. So I, I, I want to. I have to pause now and be very, 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 very clear. I'll get emails and text, and people, you know, two, two months are like, hey, it sounds like you were saying that if we send our kids to this or if, if we do this, I'm not saying that your choice, you have the freedom and the celebration to do whatever that is with your kids. If that's four sports every Monday through Friday, God help you, and, and, and you can do it. And so that's fine. Um, I'm not going to judge you when you come four months later and your marriage is on the rocks and all these things are going bad and your, your kids are crazy. I'll just say, yeah, maybe, maybe you think that other way. If you happen to do one of those things, it's not wrong for you to choose to do public school. 
or private school or homeschool. I, my prayer way before this started, I know that sometimes our circles can lean uh, certain ways. I want this to be made up of one-third and one-third and one-third. We can't ha- make that happen. I think that's beautiful. I, the whole goal of this is that we will have multimillionaires from here at 71st in Peoria uh, sitting on pews one day um, with a person who's living on on an apartment that costs $40 a month. And they are in small group together, socioeconomic diversity, sitting there loving on one another together, different races, different classes. That's the goal. The gospel says you're all equal at the foot of the cross, and that's what we're wanting to see accomplished. But if I have my list of, hey, because here's the deal, it stinks to drive what I drive and what she drives and to know what she makes and what I make and just they both seem to be going down and to be around this place. And no one treats us bad or anything. It, it's just been 20-something years of always being like on the, like you're just feeling like the truth is we shouldn't be here. I'm Sankey from Salisaw, rough south of the tracks. I don't even know what you're talking about. Like you're, you're so successful. I, I don't even know. So it's not an issue of, am I getting everything right? Am I doing all these things right? And if I keep all these rules, I can be proud, judgmental, and self-righteous. Think through. You're not wrong if you have a stance on something. But if you have that type of mentality, we would never fill in the blank. People around they get it. You don't know their story. You don't know what they've been through, and they won't ever come back. What would it be like if Pharisees, older brother types, were grace-oriented, careful, thinking through what their stance is, and if I have a self-righteousness that flows out of that, or it just leads me to more grace and humility? Maybe you get to heaven and you get little gold stars because you did this with your family, this sort of thing. Just know that other people's choice, it's not sin. It's not sin. And you're not the godliest or the most godly because you do that. God gives us freedom to celebrate those things. So just be aware of that. We're going to be a place that teaches solid doctrine. That's going to attract certain crowds, okay, because we emphasize that. If we're not careful, it doesn't lead to more humility and grace that we've received and towards others. It leads to self-righteousness and pride spiritual pride, and it is a huge blind spot. So if you go, man, Sankey, I can identify with that. Man, I hope you get the news that you're not worse than the younger brother, that Jesus is the guy who's telling the story, going, this crowd has no idea. I'm saying this to this crowd and these people, and I'm going to be the one paying for it. I'm telling this story for your sake. I'm telling this story about the love of the Trinity poured out on both types of people for for my glory and for your greatest good. Don't miss that. So if you're an older brother type and you go, I identify with some of those things, know that there is restoration and celebration and rejoicing for you also. Take some time this week. Talk to your family. Talk to your spouse. Talk to think on your own in some quiet time. Am I that type of person? Do I have these tendencies? I want you to know there is beautiful reconciling grace and restoration. It may be a struggle and it just keeps on going, but just know that that's there for you. Next week we'll cover um, the uh, kind of bringing it all together, the bigger part of what the Father responds with. Let me pray. You give you some time to respond before we enter the Lord's Supper. Father, we are a people that are just jacked up with all kinds of thoughts and former teachings and and sin. We we carry our own sin with us always to the table, and yet you clear the table. You hold out your arms and you invite us to sit with you, to feast with you, to enjoy you as the greatest treasure and the greatest feast. We couldn't earn our way to the table. We couldn't be good enough to get to the table. We could never make it our own. So you provided the way through Christ and his death on the cross. And we are amazed that that is not only the suffering that you went through for that, that you provided for us, but also that's what we still have after we've already come to you and we've still blown it and blown it and blown it. You still have more and more grace for us, Father. You're an amazing, graceful God that we can't imagine. We help the ones who struggle with the idea that you're just a miserly, grumbling, angry God 
who's barely tolerating us? Would you help the hearts that are struggling with that, God? Would you bring freedom and rejoicing? Maybe help them to see the boxes and the lists that they're trying to keep that's not leading to um, rejoicing, it's leading to duty. Father, would you allow us to understand a different view of you if we come from backgrounds where you were taught in a different way? We thank you for opening the door to salvation. We thank you for creating that for us, the path through Christ and his blood on the cross. We pray that you'd help us now as we go into this time of the Lord's Supper. Amen. We pray. Amen.